You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Good morning. Still morning, I think, right? If I haven't met you before, my name's Chad Wiles. I'm one of the lead pastors here. If it's your first time, thank you for coming. We're so thankful to have you. Um, and I'm going to be finishing our, our four-week series on the, the idols of the heart. I do this every six to eight weeks. We've been addressing all these different ones. And I want to start with, some of you all have asked me about why it's so warm in here. It's not because I'm doing the idol of comfort today. <laughs> Everybody's been asking me. No. We have one of our AC units has an issue that we're getting worked out, and so this is temporary. Hopefully it'll be fixed by next Sunday, so bear with us. If you've been with us before, this is not the worst that has ever been. <laughs> we used to do what we call hot church instead of hot yoga. Um, we all lost a lot of weight. Lost a few people, they all came back, it's good. So, bear with us today. And so we've been walking through the past few times that I've been up here. One of the things that I do is I oversee our counseling ministry, and we've been dealing with the different struggles and the idolatries of our heart. And my goal in doing this is I want to give us the practical tools to see how our hearts and our flesh works, how Satan uses that against us, and what God has to say about idolatry in our hearts. And so, we're finishing up today with the idol of comfort. Now, before we jump into comfort, I want to do a quick recap. Many of you, if we've been walking through this with us, this will be old news, but hopefully a good reminder for those of you it's your first time or you haven't been with us before in one of these sermons. I just want to take a moment to, to define what worship is and define what idols are so that as we dive in, we can be walking and tracking together. So, first and foremost, I want to define worship. What is worship? Well, worship is... Any person or thing that we seek, that we serve, that we sacrifice for, spend our time and our money on, speak about most and trust in most for our hope, our worth, and our identity. You see this on our screens behind us, but I want to say it one more time. Worship is any person or thing that we seek, serve, sacrifice for, spend our time and money on, speak about most, and trust in most, for our hope, worth, and identity. This is where the place of God is supposed to be. God is supposed to be the one that we go to, to seek and to serve, to sacrifice for, spend our time and money on, to find our identity, to trust most, to find our hope and our identity, and our worth in most. That's where God is supposed to sit. So, anytime that we take something or someone and put it in that place that only God is supposed to sit, that's called idolatry. So, how do idols function? If we know that's true, idols function in two specific ways. We get this from the book called Counterfeit Gods. A pastor named Tim Keller, who's, who's awesome, did a really good job of laying out just kind of how the heart works and idolatry works. And So we see two different idols, deep idols and surface idols. Deep idols are the results of sin corrupting the deep motivational drives in our hearts. We say it that way because these deep motivational drives are not inherently sinful themselves. They're put there by God. We were meant to seek control. We're just meant to find it in God and His control. We're meant to need approval. We're just meant to find that worth and identity in Christ. We are meant to desire power, God's power, in our lives and in His power in this world. And for today, we are meant to desire comfort, God's comfort. Find and seek our comfort in the Lord. But what happens is, idolatry happens as a result of our sin corrupting those deep motivational drives. 
We were born sinful, our flesh is sinful, and we ultimately want to be our own gods and be in control of our own lives. And when that happens and we put ourselves in the place of God for these deep motivational drives, idolatry happens. And then we see this play out in surface idols. What are surface idols? Surface idols are the things that we seek and serve in order to satisfy the deep idols of our hearts. These are the things that we usually think about when we think about idolatry. Making an idol out of money, out of a relationship, out of friendships, out of our children, out of success, out of, a fa- out of fame, out of a job. Whatever the case may be, we can put any of that in the place to, to satisfy these deep motivational drives of our hearts. So let's take money, for instance. And we can walk these through each of these deep motivational drives and see how it happens. Let's take control. Money can be something that serves that deep idol. We hoard it. We try to get as much as possible. We hope in that is if anything bad ever happens, we're going to be able to take care of it and have enough. We're going to plan for the future and nothing bad is going to happen and we can control the outcome of our life based upon the amount of money we have. Or maybe you're driven mostly by approval. And money becomes a way of, man, you buy people stuff, and you have all the cool things, and you're, you're the life of the party, and you're able to do all these things for people and gain friendships through having that kind of wealth. Or power. We can take our money, and we can put ourselves in positions of power to lord over those that we employ or that we, that we have in our lives. Or comfort. It can be the thing that buys all the amenities of life and And we make enough money to where we can not have to work anymore and we spend all of our time relaxing and doing all the fun things, not doing any of the hard things, right? So we see how the surface idols serve these deep motivational drives. So, what we understand is then what do we do with these idols? Because these things are true for all of us. Since we know we all have these deep motivational drives and we know we're all sinful, we all do this. So if you're sitting here like, I don't want anybody to know that this is me, it's okay. It's all of us. You can put yourself at, at rest. And the idol of comfort is one that I think all of us struggle with probably the most or most readily because of even our, the way, where we live in America, we have the opportunity to indulge more and opportunity to serve ourselves more in these ways. And so this one is one that we all struggle with, including myself. So let's start with the idol of comfort, defining it. And I want to start by defining what it's not. When we're talking about the idol of comfort, what I'm not talking about is the comforting of someone who's going through a hard time, a burden, or a grief. We see that in Scripture, the comfort of the Lord, and that's good. That's not what this idol is about. One day, soon, we'll probably do a sermon on grief and seeking the Lord's comfort through those hard times and hardships. But that's not what this idol's about. This idol of comfort is about selfishness and serving of ourselves, right? The belief of this idol, what drives this, is what we believe if we are driven by the idol of comfort. If I can avoid pain and hardship in my life while enjoying the successes and the pleasures of this world, I will be satisfied. If I can avoid the pain and the hardship that comes with life and work and all those things, but I still get to enjoy and indulge in all the pleasures that this life has to offer, then that's ultimate peace and satisfaction. That's the goal. That's where joy comes from. That's where peace comes from. That's it. And this idol is so tempting because it comes from a very true experiential place that life is hard, that things are difficult, right? We know work is hard. If we remember back in Genesis 3, God had created the Garden of Eden. He created man and woman to live in perfect communion with him. He had one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And what happens is Satan tricks them. They don't believe in that. They take the fruit of the tree. Sin comes into the world because of their disobedience. And one of the punishments for Adam was that work was going to be hard. See, work was created by God in the garden, and work was a, is a good thing. But the hardship of work came as a result of sin. And so, it's hard. Work is difficult. Sometimes it's back-breaking and physical. 
Sometimes it's you maybe work in a more white collar job and the stress of it and the and the deadlines and all the things that come or or trying to figure out this next project and how are we going to make this happen and my boss is going to be upset and there's all these things that come with work. It's hard. Parenting's hard. Anybody in here a parent? A few of us, right? It's difficult. It's very difficult. We've got these little sinful gremlins running around trying to destroy your life <laughs> that we love so dearly, right? But it's difficult because there's these moments where they're just like us, a miniature version of us, and they're more pure in their selfishness sometimes, and it's an opportunity for us to step in and and share the gospel to their hearts and help develop their hearts, but that's difficult. Because you do it, and then they run back and disobey, and then you gotta do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and that's exhausting. Parenting's hard. That's just true. Relationships are hard. Friendships are difficult to maintain and care for one another. Marriage is difficult. Right? There's nothing more sanctifying than marriage. Two sinful people living in the same house, like big mirrors, reflecting each other's sin to one another. Right? It's difficult. It's not everything the movie makes it to be. Right? There, there's the times of the bliss, but that bliss is usually cultivated through times of hard work. It's difficult. Marriage is hard. Just generally surviving is difficult. We live in a sinful, fallen world that bad things happen all the time. And just thinking through all the things of like health and protecting our families, protecting our homes. What if a natural disaster happens? What if this? What if that? It's just difficult. Because of sin, life is hard. So it's natural for us to want to seek refuge and comfort. And it's also natural for us to give into our flesh and seek it in our own ways for ourselves and not in Christ, right? I often find myself with this internal wrestle of doing the thing that I know I need to do and should do or sleeping in <laughs> or watching a TV show or you name it, hanging out on my phone. Need to cut the grass? It's hot outside, that'll happen later. Netflix, right? <clears throat> and we're in this constant struggle to do the right thing. And so I want to talk through today, we're going to just talk through some manifestations of the comfort idol. What happens? Where, how does it come out? How does it show itself? Because we know some of the emotions, as we said, is avoiding hardship and pain. Some of the emotions that drive this are fear-related. I don't want to deal with that thing. I don't know if I'll be good enough to handle that. I don't know if I can take on that right now. I don't know. And it's also self-indulgence. I just want to relax. I just want to feel good. I just want to be comfortable. So when we have those beliefs going on and we have those feelings going on, what does it, what does it come out like? Well, the first one we see is laziness. The Bible talks a lot about this. Laziness. And unwilling to work or to use energy. Anybody ever feel a little lazy? Just me? Nah, that's right. I'm going to get the line in a minute, so you might as well raise your hand now. <laughs> Thank you. We all know what laziness feels like because it's universal. We all feel lazy at times. Heck, I felt lazy this morning. Getting out of bed and like doing the thing I need to do to prepare myself to be here to preach. There's this temptation to want to just spend more time there in bed. It'll come in a minute. That wrestle is constant. Obviously, I didn't give in to it today because I'm here, right? <laughs> but we all know this struggle. We all know it so well that I went to social media because it's funny how people out themselves to the public on social media. Like, we can't read that. And so people like me get to take it and use it for my good here. And so I researched the hashtag lazy people problems. 
And if you've ever tweeted on this, maybe one of yours has made it here today. <laughs> no. <clears throat> we'll see. I'm not going to call any names out. I'm just going to read a few tweets that I found that I found humorous yet very relatable because I've thought of myself. First one was, I want money, but I don't feel like working for it. Hashtag lazy people problems. True. Yeah. It would be nice to have mailbox money. You know, you just hanging out and you go to your mailbox and, oh, it's a check. Sweet. The next one is, the longest journey ever is walking from my room to the fridge. <laughs> Hashtag lazy people problems. <laughs> this one made me laugh the most. When the wind closes your door. Yes. <laughs> 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 I've actually had that happen before and it does feel kind of nice when that happens. Here's one. This might hurt a few single people's hearts. I'm sorry. I have a date tonight, but I'm so lazy all I want to do is stay home. That is why I'm still single. Hashtag lazy people problems. Fair. <laughs> and this one will get parents. Don't ever be this parent. My mom calls me on the phone so I can bring her something from the kitchen. Her room is closer to the kitchen than mine is. <laughs> Hashtag lazy people problems. And I would totally do that to my children. They don't have phones, so I can't do that. But laziness, and it is something that we joke about a lot because it's something that's true a lot for all of us. And Proverbs, it's funny how we're joking and addressing it in kind of a sarcastic way, but I love how the writer of uh, Proverbs kind of addresses it as well. Proverbs 19.24 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's lazy. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's true. Work is uncomfortable most of the time. The things that we're supposed to do in our lives take effort and if you struggle with this idol of comfort you'll avoid the things that make you uncomfortable as much as possible and we got to be careful of that because we're going to talk a little bit later about the destruction this, this brings the second manifestation we see is procrastination procrastination the action of delaying or postponing something Procrastination is a form of laziness mixed with lying to, our, to ourselves, right? We don't want to do that thing that's hard right now, but we also don't want to feel bad about being lazy about not doing that thing right now. So I'm going to procrastinate and tell myself I'm going to do that later so that I can feel like I'm going to do something but not actually do something, right? And the stress and the hardships that procrastination brings because we wait to the last second, wait to the last minute, we don't prepare as much as we could have and should have, and then the task is even harder. All because in the momentary satisfaction of just being lazy that we feel like brings to ourselves this momentary satisfaction, it causes more hardship later. I was the king of procrastination in college. I still struggle with it at times. I've gotten a little better, mostly because my wife yells at me. No, <laughs> no. I've learned that if you put in the effort and you prepare beforehand and you just do the little things, you don't end up finding yourself in this place where things are bigger than they should be and more problematic than they should be. But in college, I used to call it clutch, not procrastination, right? Wait till the very last second. I always say, man, I'm so good under pressure. <laughs> uh, but I could have gotten a whole lot better grades had I probably taken some time to prepare myself. But true satisfaction really comes in the wake of accomplishment. When we do the thing that we're supposed to do, and we're faithful to the Lord in doing so, it brings about peace. And we cause ourselves a lot of heartache and a lot of stress by being lazy and lying to ourselves. Which brings us to our third manifestation, which is lying. Lying. We lie to ourselves and we lie to other people. We exaggerate. We make excuses. 
sometimes when you don't accomplish something or you drop a ball, sometimes a major ball in our lives, what do we say? I mean, I was just so busy. I didn't have enough time. I didn't. It's not true. You know it's not true, even when you're saying it. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to other people. Because most of the time, if you examine your life, the actual amount of time that you really have, and you look at the amount of time you spend in your comforts and your pleasures versus actually putting an effort for the things that you're supposed to do, it's kind of laughable, the amount of time that you really have. And we've got to recognize this is coming from an idolatry of comfort. Don't lie to yourself. You do have time. You don't have to watch the marathon on Netflix. It'll be there. You do have time. You don't have to sleep in every day. You do have time. You don't have to be on your phone. You do have time. And we prioritize the things that God prioritizes first to make us faithful. And you'll find that there's still time for rest and relaxation, even in, even in doing so. But it's the idol comes from a flipping of priorities. Remember we talked about that selfishness and that self-indulgence. Which brings us to number four, selfishness. There's another manifestation of, <clears throat> of this. Oh, I don't want to skip this part. For lying, Proverbs 22, 13. He says, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. And he gives this example because it's such an exaggeration. Did lions exist? Yes. But that would be like you saying, I can't go to work today. I might get run over by a car. Yes, cars exist. Yes, it is possible to get hit by a car. Is it likely? No. Right? But a lot of times we use these exaggerations in our own lives like we talked about. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I can't do that. I can't. It's just not true. We've got to be careful about lying to ourselves in these ways and to other people. So then number four, selfishness. I will do those things that I need to do as long as it doesn't cost me too much. As long as it's not too uncomfortable. I'm constantly seeking a way to make my life easier and to serve myself and satisfy myself while still trying to get some stuff done, but not at the cost of my comfort. Yeah, I mean, I'll help my friend as long as it doesn't take away from my time at all. As long as I have some extra time to give you, I'll help you. You need to talk about that thing that's going on? I mean, maybe tomorrow. Remember, this idol of comfort is coming from a place of selfishness, driven by selfishness, self-preservation, self-indulgence. And you've got to really examine your heart. Are you selfish? Do you see this coming out in your life? It's probably due to this idol. And then number five, the last manifestation that we see today is entitlement. Entitlement. I deserve success just because I exist. Right? Entitlement. I, I deserve a house. I deserve a car. I deserve food on my table every day. I deserve to have internet. I deserve to have a nice car. I deserve... I mean, I don't want to do all the things that you got to do to get those things, or I don't want to steward well and exercise self-control and be faithful to the Lord in order to and be content in what he has given me. I just want what I want when I want it, and I should get that. Right? That's a struggle for all of us. Right? We want to have the indulgences of this world without the work that goes into it. We want to avoid the hardship, but still have the fruits. And we feel like, especially as Americans, especially my generation or younger, that I'm supposed to have these things. I counsel people sometimes through through issues in their marriage, but also sometimes financial issues, um, more the heart behind them. And a lot of times you'd be surprised when you actually write stuff out. The things that people think are needs that are wants that have become needs. It's like, man, there's a really big cable bill. I mean, I need that. I'm pretty sure you can survive without watching TV. <laughs> you know? That's a nice thing to have, but when you don't have enough coming in and you can't afford that, you're going to choose that over 
paying bills and eating food. Like it's it's a weird dichotomy. But then we go into debt and we start to snowball into that world, right? Because we feel entitled. We should have those things. I shouldn't have to give up my time. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to do all those things. I shouldn't have to lay down my life in order to have blessings. Entitlement. This is coming from an idolatry of comfort. So let's look at a warning of comfort. Solomon, in his wisdom, gives us a warning here. Proverbs 6. He says, starting in verse 6, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And I love how he puts that. You see this contrast of the ant who is just faithful. She knows what she needs to do. And she just faithfully does it and prepares herself in the good times for the hard times and just constantly stewards what God has given her. And then the sluggard puts it off, doesn't do it. And he, he says it in such a way that I think is really good for us to understand is it doesn't come on like that. The poverty that comes from the idol of comfort, the destruction that comes is a slow leak. And it's little habits that build up to create big destruction in your life that Satan uses to tempt you, to distract you, and to ultimately make you worship yourself instead of God. And it's just a little bit of sleep. Just a little bit. Just a little slumber. Just a little folding and resting of the hands. It's okay. Hey, that'll, we'll get that tomorrow. I mean, there's an opportunity here, but, you know, that's all right. Just, you've worked hard. You've, you've got it. Like, just, just a little bit. Just in the back of our mind. Just a little bit. And we justify those little bits, and we justify those little bits, and it builds, and it builds, and before we know it, we're enslaved to this idol. Remember, idols promise everything, and they take away everything. Idols lie to you. That promise that comfort is going to bring about satisfaction is a lie. It's not true. It will bring about poverty and destruction. And we see it over and over and over again. And we're going to look at somewhere, some areas of our life where we see poverty taking place. If we live our lives for this idol of comfort. Let's look at the first one. The idol of comfort produces poverty financially. Financial poverty. Now, I want to caveat that with is we're not talking about, you know, you do all the right things and God's going to bless you and give you everything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stewardship of what God has given. God is the one who has gracefully given you everything. He's given you your gifts, your talents, your opportunities in life. He's provided for you in His ways for what you need. And this is about working diligently to be faithful with the things God has given. Because diligence doesn't mean you'll be rich, but it does mean that God will take care of you through what He has given. And we know the general principle, the general rule, is that hard work does pay off. Galatians tells us, you sow good seeds, get good fruit. Sow bad seeds, bad fruit. It's a general principle that's ultimately true. Faithfulness. How many of us have lost jobs because of poor work ethic? How many have missed opportunities for promotions because we're not prepared? We didn't put in the effort. We didn't do what we know we should do. How many are enslaved to debt because you want the comforts of life but you don't want to steward what God has given you and you overextend yourself? and do things you shouldn't do. You don't exercise self-control and contentment. You go ahead and get the thing you think you deserve, and you're enslaved to debt. How many of us do not obey the Lord and worship Him through our tithe? 
because of this very principle. Because that is a command, and God, that command is, I'm going to give you everything, and you're going to trust me with the 90, and you're going to give the 10% back to me, and I'm going to do far more with it. That is a command of worship. And many of us don't even do that because we want what we want when we want it, and we don't trust God, first part of that. And secondly, you've overextended yourself. You're living on 120% because of this idol of comfort. And it's producing poverty in your life. You can't make ends meet because of not stewarding what God's given. And you're not even available to be able to serve and support and to love someone else and to bless someone else because you're not caring for what God's given you. This produces financial poverty. It also produces relational poverty. Relationships take work. Relationships take work. I can't tell you how many times in the counseling room I've heard I've fallen out of love with my spouse. What does that even mean? I've fallen out of love. You don't even understand what the word love means. It's an action. It's a commitment. It's a working for loving your spouse. Most of us look at marriage and look at relationships as something I'm going to get. I'm supposed to be the recipient. That's not, it's not true. We're to love one another like Christ has loved us. My calling as a husband is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Do I need to remind you how Christ has loved the church? Given himself fully, even unto death, so that we as enemies could have a relationship with him again. That's our calling. Love is an action and it takes work. It's hard. But so many people see their marriages crumble because of this idol of comfort and they're not willing to put in the work. Not willing to put in the work of repentance because guess what? You're not that great. I'm not that great. I got so many flaws. I got to repent constantly. Not willing to put in the work to pursue my spouse in the way that God has called me to, to lead her, to love her, to protect her. If we drop the ball on those things because of these idols of comfort, things will crumble. We may lose friends because of this idol of comfort. We're not willing to put in the time and the effort to love and to serve other people around us. We don't do the one another's of Scripture to love one another, serve one another, care for each other, bear one another's burdens. We don't even do that because we're so worried about ourselves and our own comforts. Parenting is hard work. And if you're a parent here, you feel that tension constantly. I drop the ball so much and feel I spend so many times in prayer repenting to the Lord and asking my kids for forgiveness because, man, like, sometimes I just don't want to do it. It's just hard. Or I do it until I, it's like, man, I, I can't have this conversation again <laughs> today. Or I want to spend my time in my comforts watching TV or spending time on my phone and missing opportunities to invest in them and spend time with them and disciple them and spend time in the Word with them and pray with them and do those things. Because, listen, the hardest part about being a parent isn't just what you say to your kids, it's how you live out in front of them. More is caught than taught. And that's difficult because we've got a lot of people walking around in our homes watching us. And if I tell my children that God is the most important thing to me, but yet they never see me, Making that true? What do you think they think? Dad's a liar. Hypocrite. This stuff doesn't mean anything. If I say, be diligent, be faithful, work hard, and I'm laying on the couch all the time. Listen, if your kid's lazy, it's probably because you're lazy. They're sinful. Yes. They have their own idols. Yes. But... It's our job to shape them, and that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work, but it's worthwhile work. And we've got to be diligent. But it'll destroy relationships between parent and children if we don't do this, if we aren't diligent. What about physical prop, uh, poverty? We've talked about financial, relational 
physical. The Bible talks a lot about gluttony. Proverbs 23, 20-21 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttons, eaters of meat, gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. I like meat. You're allowed to eat meat. <laughs> but this verse is about indulgence, overindulgence. Food can be an addiction. They call them comfort foods for a reason. And we go to those things instead of the Lord sometimes. And we indulge and we comfort ourselves through that. And it can cause some real physical harm. It can cause disease. It can cause heart attacks. I mean, it can cause death. And it doesn't mean we can't enjoy a good meal. It just means we've got to steward that properly. We have to be self-controlled in that. When we're trying to avoid and escape responsibility of pain and hardship, sometimes we can turn to drugs and alcohol as a means of that. Just a little bit. Just a little rest. Remember the sluggard? Just a little. And we find our escape in those things. And we do it over and over until we're enslaved to those things. And it causes real destruction in our lives, real physical harm. In our sinful perverseness, we've destroyed the biblical model of sex. We turn to pornography. We turn to pleasure-seeking in those ways. And it destroys our relationships. It destroys our hearts. It puts a barrier between us and God. Physical poverty comes from this idol of comfort. I'm stressed out. It's too hard. I can't do this. Someone turned to one of these areas, just a way to escape, just a way to take the pressure off. A little bit of slumber, a little bit of rest, a little folding of the hands. And before you know it, there's destruction in your life. Last but not least, I saved this for the end, but this is the most important. Spiritual poverty. All of these things we've been talking about lead to this. Spiritual poverty. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory and the glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. When we indulge ourselves, when we indulge our flesh, when we look to that and put those things in place of God, it brings about destruction. Spiritual poverty. And this is the most dangerous one because it encompasses all of them. And this is what's true of all of us if we're not careful because we were born sinful. We know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death will come because of sin. We are all born sinful, and that's just part of the, part of the deal. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's the good news, the grace, the good news of the gospel, that, that Christ has come, defeated sin and death, and whoever humbles ourselves and lays our lives down and makes him Lord and follows him will be saved, will be made new. And so all of this comes around the gospel. The answer to all these issues of idolatry come back to the gospel. And we're going to spend some time looking through what true comfort is in Colossians chapter 3. Hopefully you have your Bibles. I know this was a long road to get to our main passage today. Don't worry. We've only got about an hour left. <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at and walking through verses 1 through 17. Because now that we're thoroughly convinced that the idol of comfort can cause destruction, let's take some time to really look at the good news and the grace of the gospel and how that defeats that idol. All right, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice we've hit on a lot of those things when it comes to this idol. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of, our, of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, and slave, or free, but Christ is, Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these things, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, notice, do. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So point number one, true comfort comes when we set our minds on Christ. Here's a very pivotal principle for your life. This life is not about you. When we can really sink that into our hearts and our beliefs, things will start to change. This life is not about you. We were not created for ourselves. We were created to glorify God. We were created by God for God, for the purposes of God. And it's by His grace we are saved and we are able to be ambassadors for that message to spread His word and to spread the gospel throughout the whole world so that He may be famous, not you. And so the principle here, we see Paul telling the church of Colossae, listen, set your mind on Christ. Put your mind on things above. Don't think about your life primarily. Don't think about all the things you need, you want, all the things you wish you had. Put your mind on Christ, who's given you a seat at the king's table because of his grace and love and mercy. If you're in Christ, you've been made a son and a daughter of God, like what else would you want? What else could you need? And he is caring for you. He is using you. He has a plan for your life. Stop being selfish and self-focused. Set your minds on the things of Christ. Set your mind on the things above. So how are you doing this? I just want you to ask yourself, how am I doing this? Do I put my mind on the things above? Do I think about Jesus? What habits in your life help you to do this? Do you spend time reading God's Word? Do you hide His Word in your heart? Do you meditate on it? Do you pray? Do you sing songs back to the Lord? Do you share your faith with others? What, what are the things that help you to think about these things? Because I'll answer your question for you. If, if those things are not present, you don't set your mind on Christ. We've got to set our minds on the things above, and that comes from his word. It comes from spending time with him. How are you doing this? What needs to change? What habits need to change? What, what amount of little bit of sleep, little bit of rest, little bit of slumber, little bit of folding of hands need to go away? Do I need to wake up a little earlier? Do I need to set aside time? Do I need to fill in the blank? So I'm telling you to do it because it's worth it. 
Because Christ is the one who brings about comfort. Christ is the one who's satisfied. He's the one who brings about peace. So spend time with him. He deserves it. He deserves your worship. He's the only one who does. Number two, true comfort comes when we go to war with our flesh. True comfort comes when we go to war with our flesh. What does he say in verse 5? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. That doesn't say, well, let me just stop doing it as much. It doesn't say, well, maybe I'll, uh, I mean, I know I shouldn't do that thing. I'm going to just kind of let it live over here in the corner. For a little while, I'm going to walk over here and not do that. But I'm going to come back to it when I get really stressed out. And really, No, put to death. Put to death the things of the flesh. Be at war with your flesh. Be at war with yourself. To be at war, you've got to be aware, first and foremost. Where are you turning to comfort? Ask yourself that question. We've talked through all these things today. And if you have this idol going on in your life and you see this happening, be honest with yourself. Be aware. Be honest. Repent. Put it to death. See when it's coming about. You know when it's coming about in your life. I'm really worried and really stressed out. I want to just go sit on the couch. No. Don't do it. Pray first. Spend time in the Word first. Don't do it. What does the Bible say? What does God say about this? Let me find and seek the Lord in this situation. Don't turn to the comfort. Man, I really wish I had more. I really would stop. Be thankful for what you have. Don't turn to these comforts. Go to war with your flesh. Put it to death. Don't let it live because it will destroy you. I'm passionate about this because I know it will destroy you. I know it. I've seen it in my own life. And I've spent too many times in the counseling room helping people through these things where they found themselves enslaved and destroying their lives. Trust me. Put it to death. It's not worth it. Only Christ is worth it. So true comfort comes when we set our minds on Christ. True comfort comes when we go to war with our flesh. And true comfort comes when we live as if Christ is our treasure. This is the put on. We put to death our flesh. What do we put on? Christ. Put on as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. All of these are selfless commands. And they emulate the character of Christ. This is what we should look like. This is what we should strive for. This is what should dominate our beliefs and our minds and our hearts. That Christ, He is our Lord. And my goal is to be faithful and to serve Him. And this is what our lives should look like. And look what comes about. And let the peace of Christ rule. When we set our minds on these things, when we put our hope in Christ, we get peace. That comfort you're seeking, it comes about when you're diligently pursuing the Lord. Peace. And be thankful. Be thankful. Realizing that everything you have is given to you by God. Every grace, every opportunity, everything is given by Christ. Be thankful. Be thankful. And seek Him. So, how am I doing this? Back to that question, right? Am I seeking Christ first? If someone examines my life, would they say that it looks like I treasure Jesus? Do I live in such a way that my life reflects the glory of God? Or 
do I look selfish and comfortable? We think the comforts of this world are going to bring about peace, but they only bring about destruction. What brings about peace is Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I beg you to consider that. I beg you to come and ask questions. I'll be available. Our staff will be available. Plenty of members of our church will be available to talk you through that. And if you are a Christian, but your life does not reflect as such, repent. Repent because you're picking back up these old selfish, sinful ways, and they're going to destroy you. And if you are God's, he's a good father. You put him down or he'll make you put him down. Because he's a good father. Repent and enjoy the peace of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray <clears throat> that whatever was of you would permeate the hearts of all of us. Anything that was of my own flesh would be easily forgotten. And God, for all of us who struggle with the temptations of comfort, we look to our own selves and the things this world has to offer and we minimize you and we don't treasure you. God, help us to repent. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to treasure you above all things and know that that's where the peace and joy and satisfaction come from. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.